thinking a wedding planner isn't in your budget, uh, think again. Did you know that beyond this podcast, I offer virtual wedding planning coaching? This is something perfect for your needs and your budget. It's not a stale digital course. It's dynamic, it's live, and it's all about empowering you. Together, we'll keep your wedding planning vibe light, fun, and totally dialed in. I'll be your go-to wedding planner right in your pocket, real-time access, just a phone tap or Zoom away. You'll get all my tools. I will personalize them for you, and you're not going to have the hefty price tag of a traditional wedding planner. So save your cash, ditch the stress, and make your wedding planning a journey to remember for more info you can slide into my dms on instagram you can go to the big wedding planning podcast.com or just shoot me an email i'm here for you let's make your wedding epic lovey lovey show families have a lot going on let ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up like delicious lolly focus pops or lolly mellow pops for kids And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The Big Wedding Planning Podcast. Just a wedding planner. Tearing it up. Listen, learn, plan that wedding. At the same time, my name is Michelle Martinez. Hello, lovely. How are you? I hope this is a, a fabulous day you're having or evening. I am getting ready for my wedding planning happy hour of the month. I love, love, live. I live. I almost live for these wedding planning happy hours. They're so awesome. And I appreciate you all so much. We're talking about legal words. We're, 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 we're going, we're going there. Okay. And let's be real. The world of wedding contracts can feel like you're trying to read ancient text, a language you don't speak. There's legal lingo. There's pages upon pages of terms. And honestly, who has the time? Who has the time to sift through all that With a fine-tooth comb while you're planning your wedding, while you're, you know, going through normal daily life, you've got a huge to-do list. There's a lot. But here's the real talk, friends. Skipping the nitty-gritty and signing on the dotted line based on nothing but the good vibes and those awesome photos you're seeing on a vendor's website, that can lead to some serious wedding issues down the line for you. What I don't want to happen is you finding yourself months into planning, tangled in a web 
of miscommunication, realizing the contract that you breezed through doesn't have your back. That's exactly why I am doing this episode today. I am on a mission to arm you with the knowledge and confidence to navigate those contracts like a pro. In this episode, I am joined by Legal Eagles, Leah Weinberg, and Kumbi Odubogan of Odeberg Law, a New York-based law firm for small business owners and entrepreneurs. They're not just any attorneys. They do specialize in wedding industry as well, and they are here to help translate that legalese into plain English for you and for me. <laughs> we are talking about why contracts are like super long, like war and peace length, uh, what's up with deposits and retainers, and even cracking the code on terms like indemnity, liability, and yes, the mysterious force majeure. But it's not just about protecting yourself. Understanding these contracts from both sides of the table means creating a trusting, transparent relationship with your vendors, your vendor team. It's about ensuring everyone's on the same page, fully protected, and ready to make your big day as magical as you've always wanted it to be. And here's the best part. This episode is designed to be your go-to resource, something you can listen to and write down notes from to keep by your side as you read over these vendor contracts that you're going to be reading. It's like having a wedding planning coach in your ear. That's me. <laughs> guiding you through the legal landscape to ensure you're walking into agreements with your eyes wide open. So whether you are a marrier, knee deep in planning your wedding right now, a wedding professional who could always use some great tips on contracts, or just love soaking up all things wedding, this episode is your golden ticket to tackling those contracts with ease. So let's dive in and turn those contract fears into contract cheers. Oh my gosh, that was really corny. Um, okay, uh, so for those of you small business owners, you can hire Leah and Kunbi for one-on-one -on -one legal services. Their website is oduberg.com. That's O-D-U-B-E-R-G.com. And then they also have some awesome, simple templates on their website, legallyset.com. All right, so hit them up. Leah and Kumbi, you both were so much fun. I, I loved having you. Get ready. Get set. Let's go. Your stress-free guide to wedding contracts starts now. Love you, love your show. Hi. Hi, everyone. My name is Kumbi Odubogun. I'm a business attorney and one half of the business law firm Oduberg. I am also the founder of Legally Sets, a contract template shop for entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, wedding pros, and creatives. And um really excited to be here. My second half will introduce herself, but I'm based in New York <laughs> and have been doing this law thing for 
a while now, so over 10 years, and really passionate about protecting the most vulnerable. Let's go with that. Leah. Like it. So yes. Hi, I'm Leah Weinberg. I am the second half of Oduberg. I've been an attorney since 2005, but took a little detour to be a wedding planner. So I ran a wedding planning company called Color Pop Events for about 10 years based out of New York City. Shut that business down at the end of 2022. And Coonby and I launched Oduberg at the beginning of 2023. We work with a lot of wedding pros, small business owners, and it's um, it's just been a really great, rewarding, fulfilling venture so far. Leah, you've been on the pod, I feel like twice. I feel like you were yes. on twice. Um, it's if not been a more, while. if not more than that, if not more. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and I know the, the last time was 2021 when your book came out. Um, but I remember you and me and Christy back in the day, that's, I call that our old school days when Christy was here, um, just having a lot of fun talking. So thanks for coming back and Kumbi, it's so good to have you. And this legal terminology put into plain English is right up the alley of people listening right now. So I really love that you're here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. I think this is one of those things where law always sounds scarier than it is. I will say that. It could be scary, but it definitely sounds scarier than it is. But if you understand what you're looking at, you have a much better time and like there's more peace of mind. And peace of mind is really important, isn't it? Hello. Yes. Hello. I mean, just, <laughs> just, just, just all this. There's so much, I try not to use the S word, but there's so much stress that comes with wedding planning. Um, and peace of mind, wherever you can get it is a good thing. It's like a little pill. I can give me a little peace mm -hmm. of mind, but it's not a pill. It's this is, this is actually healthy for us. This is good. <laughs> um, so we're going to start out. Kumbi, why are contracts so damn long? They are long because they're protecting your butt. That's why they are long. They're long in the shortest and most concise way because they have to be. I don't care what anybody says. And I know that, of course, it's the lawyer that's saying that they have to be long. But the reason why they're there is not so that they can just wax lyrical about random scenarios. It's because at some point or the other, it's either legally necessary that that's in the contract or something has happened that has caused somebody to lose a whole lot of S-H-I-T. Sorry, I have a six-year-old, so I spell curses. So oh. that's my thing. So the reason why they are long is because it establishes a proper pattern for how things operate. If something goes wrong, something goes left, if something goes a little different, in different scenarios, or in, if something happens and nobody remembers what that oral agreement was, something is memorialized in writing that dictates how things will operate when something outside the normal happens. I think that's so important. Or even when something normal happens, it also dictates how the contract, how a contract begins, how it ends, when it's confirmed that this person will show up, what happens if this person doesn't show up. I, I know that we represent um, vendors a lot, but like even as a couple and even as a consumer in general, I want to know what the terms of my agreement is with someone. And I find that leaner contracts or contracts that are super concise or short, they might be missing things that are essential in terms of dictating how things move forward, how who you should talk to when something happens or how to proceed if something changes. Like I, that's that's really it. They are long because... In my opinion, they have to be because they have to properly detail what the terms of the of the arrangement are. Yeah, and those shorter those shorter contracts they leave you guessing. 
like Kumbi mm. said, they're long because it says if something happens, this is what we mm-hmm. do. And when they're short, mm-hmm. when something happens, both sides are like, what now? What do, what we, do we do? We don't have this mm-hmm. guidebook to tell us. Exactly. I, I, ha- I'm sure you've come across this a lot with your clients. Um, and Leah, you, I'm sure you did what, when you were wedding planning, but every once in a while I'll get a contract from a vendor and it's literally one page and it's, and there's like big line spacing and big space for signatures. And I'm like, are you kidding me right now? And my clients are like, okay, here's our contract. We're ready to sign it. What do you think? And I'm like, no, you can't sign this. Like, no. Yeah. And I, um, I remember this one that's sticking out in particular, a DJ in San Francisco. He was super cool. You know, the, a lot of DJs mm-hmm. are so cool, right? Cool. You're like, oh, mm-hmm. dude, what's up? Um, and <laughs> I get his contract and my client, he's like, that that dude's awesome. Like, I've known him for a long time. He's an awesome DJ. He's great. And I go, I'm sorry, you guys, you can't sign this. And I'm about to like, like, and they're like, what? I'm like, I know, you know, this guy. And I understand like, you know, him personally as your friend, but like, this is really not good for you or him. And so Mm -hmm. when I sent it back to him, you know, DJ was a side gig, right? So he just had this thing and he's like, I got to send this out to like, look legit, but I don't really give a shit, you know? And I go, listen, this isn't good. Like there's nothing in here about cancellation. There's nothing you, you told the client, like, they're like, Oh yeah, he's going to throw in this huge lighting package. He's only going to charge me 75 bucks. He's going to throw in this, but there was nothing in the contract about that. Nothing. Mm -hmm. And my, my Ernie, my client is like, I trust the guy. He's fine. And I'm like, Ernie, no, you know, you hired me for a reason. So then I send it back to the DJ. He's like, he's like, that's cool, but I don't have time for this. Like, I don't have time to write this contract. Le- legit don't have time. I have a day job. Like, I ha- I don't have time. I have a daughter. And I was like, I'll write it for you if that's, oh, yeah, yeah, write whatever you want. I'll sign it. And I was just like, oh, my God. But I did. Like, I did my best. And I I wrote some stuff out. And it, But it was crazy to me. And that still happens. I mean, how much have you seen that happen? Oh, yeah, so I- much. Yeah, it happens a lot. I mean, that's who our clients are. But Mm -hmm. when I was wedding planning, it's interesting because I would get contracts like that. There was one in particular uh, that I remember. I won't say anything because I don't want to give it away, but like give the person away or company away. But it was a one page contract with, again, like you said, lots of spacing. There was like a graphic in there. And so there was hardly anything (laughs) in there. But I told, um, it was somebody that I had worked with numerous times. So like, I was comfortable saying to the client, like this contract's not great, but if you go back to them, you're not going to, they're not going to rewrite their contract for you. So I said, based on my past, like history with this company and level of trust, like I, I vouched for them essentially and said, I trust them. I'm comfortable with this. Um, but that was a unique circumstance where like, I knew somebody I'd been working with them for a long time. Like this was just how they operated. But in your situation where it's somebody that you don't know, you have to confirm that stuff. Cause exactly when you said, when you were like, Oh, he's going to provide all this extra stuff and not charge us for it. I was like, I, you, I see you getting to the wedding day and that stuff's not there. Mm-hmm. Or he or tries to be like that. Or you give mm-hmm. him like a thousand, thousands of dollars bill, a bill for all of it. And I was, yeah. So, but yeah. it happens so much. It mm-hmm. does. It does. Um, one more example is, is a client I'm working with right now on coaching. She's doing a food truck 
uh, for her wedding, which, mm-hmm. you know, that's a huge thing. It's a, a taco truck. And this is like, mm-hmm. uh, her wedding's actually this weekend. Oh, I'm so excited for her. Mm-hmm. Um, but two weeks ago, she found out that the paperwork that the venue needed, which she had been telling this dude forever, this this guy, he, he did like family events for her uh, for her family, he's done provided food, but never for a wedding, never for a big, big, the biggest they did was her father's memorial service. Unfortunately, her father passed away. Mm -hmm. So she really was into this guy. They loved her her food. He's friends of the family. And she kept telling him like, Oh, the venue requires this certificate, this contract. Mm. Oh, no worries. No worries. No worries. You're good. You're good. You're good. Mm. Come two weeks out. He finally gives her what he has. And the venue's like, this is not This is not Mm -hmm. what we need from a food handler. Like we have to have this. And the dude's all, but I don't have that because I'm a truck. Like I don't have that. And it would have taken Mm. three weeks for him to get it. So she had to cancel with him and find a caterer within two weeks of her wedding. Talk about stress. So all this to say there was no contract in place. The, The never things were never followed up with. And this was a person who she really loved and trusted from her family. So Contract, 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 peeps. Very important. Um, okay. Leah, this is now we're gonna go into these terms that we see in every contract and things that we want, definitely want to see in every contract, right? And so why don't you present the first one, Leah, and and what it means? Okay, so we're gonna talk about indemnity. Indemnity. Can you say it in a sentence? Indemnity. Say it with me. <laughs> I actually, this is, I edge, I have, I do a lot of speaking as well. And like, I spend a lot of time in many of my talks on indemnity. And it's because honestly, nobody knows what it means. The vendors don't, your vendors don't really know what it means. And you, as the people getting married, don't necessarily know what it means. So I'm here to like explain to the world what indemnity means. So Indemnity is a contractual obligation. So what's important there is that this is not something that occurs at by default at law. Like it has to be in a contract in order for this obligation to exist. So we have a contractual obligation of one party who we call the indemnitor to reimburse and be responsible for the losses incurred by another party who we call the indemnity because of the actions of either the indemnitor or a third party. I know that was a lot for all you visual learners. I'm sure that didn't make any sense, but (laughs) here's an example. So what you're going to see in your contracts with your vendors, you are likely going to see something that says client agrees to indemnify, defend, and hold harmless vendor from and against claims, losses, et cetera, arising out of the event or arising out of the services. So what this means, this is an obligation on your part as the people who are getting married, that if something happens at the wedding that's not related to, that is not the fault of the the vendor in question, if something happens and that vendor gets sued, you are going to be responsible for reimbursing that vendor's legal cost to defend that action. Really? So, yes. So that seems super scary. That seems super scary, but I'm going to give, I'm going to explain why we have it. And I'm also going to share how you protect. So the way you protect yourself against that is you should be getting insurance for your wedding. 
The first type of insurance is general liability insurance. So that if something happens, if there's an accident, if there's a lawsuit type thing like this, you have an insurance policy to cover that. We'll get into event cancellation insurance later on. So the reason this exists, though, is because you have to realize that your vendors, in the most cases, are small business owners. They are doing events, depending on what type of vendor they are. They're doing events every weekend, multiple events every weekend. Planners are doing like 20, 30, 40 weddings a year. If your vendor was doing these weddings and was open to all of this liability, it would bankrupt them. Like people are so litigious, people will sue just to kind of like see what sticks. And so if a vendor is constantly every, if every time a vendor steps foot at a wedding, they're opening themselves up to liability and being sued for something, again, for something that's not their fault, it's not going to make sense for them to continue to be a business owner. So in the context of your wedding, it's almost like you are you are the one kind of responsible for the environment. You are the one hosting the event. You are the one gathering these individuals. You are putting together your vendor team. You are in this situation, the person who kind of bears the responsibility for these things. So here's a practical example to hopefully show why, why this is, why this is the way it is and why it is, it's honestly a fair thing. So there was a photographer who had a contract with a couple. The photographer had the regular day of coverage and then the couple bought one album for themselves and two parent albums. So during the course, somehow in the course of the wedding, the couple became estranged with the bride's mother. So the bride's mother was disinvited from the wedding get to the wedding, have the wedding day, all this stuff. Photographer delivers the gallery. They deliver the albums. They deliver the three albums, the couple's album and the two parent albums to the couple. The couple were the people who signed the contract. The mother of the bride decides to sue the photographer because she never got her album. So again, reiterating the contract was with the couple the photographer fulfilled their obligations and gave the photos and albums to the couple and yet still found themselves in a lawsuit with the mom. And so somehow, and I don't know these details, somehow this actually got to court. It got in front of a judge. And so the photographer had to pay court fees, had to hire a lawyer, all of this stuff only to get there and for the judge to be like, well, yeah, it's clear in the contract, the photographer fulfilled their duties who they were to the client, who they were contractually obligated to mother of the bride. You have no, this doesn't make any sense. So how fair would it be for the photographer to get sued by your mom and the photographer to have to bear those legal expenses when all the photographer did was follow the terms of your contract. And so theoretically that could happen every single wedding that a photographer does. A photographer is doing like 50, 60 weddings a year, maybe more. And so it just doesn't make sense for them to take on that liability as a business owner without this kind of protection. Wow. Okay. So that brings up a huge, I mean, we all know a wedding is an event that is taking place because two individuals are in love, want to spend the rest of their lives together. And for those listening, you know that stuff, shit comes up to the surface. You have your headphones on, right? Couldn't be your kid can't hear me. Okay. Um, and so that's 
another layer on top of Mm -hmm. the really huge importance of these contracts is mom, there was something that happens, this turmoil so massive that she didn't attend the wedding and she's taking it out on Uh, on, mm -hmm. this photographer and there are emotions involved and ego. And, and so, wow. It's also why it's really important to make sure that you're signing the contract and you, the, like you're, you as the couple mm-hmm. are signing, but also like for the vendor side, for the vendor to ensure that it's the couple that's signing the contract, because that what Leah just described is literally that in motion. Basically, the mom wasn't a party to the contract and yet came in there and sued. So that should have been something that was eliminated early. I'm surprised it made it to court, but stuff happens. And that's why the protection is there. Yeah, I was too. And so again, what I want to reiterate to mm-hmm. the, the couples is that the contract and this indemnity language doesn't give your vendor a get out of jail free card for something that was mm-hmm. like their fault. If you have a caterer um, and in their contract, they're acknowledging like certain allergies or even in later mm-hmm. correspondence, like you've sent them allergies and let's say they sort of willfully are like, oh, we're just like, somebody's got a nut allergy and they're like, oh, we're, we're still going to put nuts in this. It would, it would harm the integrity of the dish if we didn't include nuts in this. So mm-hmm. we're just going to include nuts in that. Like that is very actively sort of like willfully doing something that you know that you're not supposed to do. Your contract's not going to per, per, uh, protect you from that. So I don't want couples to worry that it's like, oh, this is get, giving my vendor license to just do whatever they want. It's not. Um, but what it does is it, it honestly makes it feasible for your vendor to continue running their business. But I guess going back to what you originally said, this indemnity clause, is that what we call this um, mm-hmm. section, means that if the vendor that you're signing this contract with gets sued by someone that was at your wedding, whatever it is, that you, the client, would be responsible for reimbursing that vendor for their legal fees? Yes. What if we don't want to do that? Should we ask for this not to be in the contract? I mean, we will we, we will never let a vendor agree to delete that clause because it's just too much risk. Um, the thing is also to make it clear, nothing prevents the client from then going after the other party and suing them to collect their legal fees. Okay. But I also think it's worth pointing out. I mean, in my 20 something years, I've never seen a client have to pay any fees for a vendor having signed a part of that contract. I guess it's Mm -hmm. just all of this is CYA, right? But but I hadn't see this is crazy. I didn't know that that's what it meant. I know I have (laughs) a contract. I have it in my contract. It's called hold harmless and indemnification. Number nine in my contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's right there. <laughs> it's right there. Yep. Uh, but it's not, it doesn't say anything about them paying for any legal fees. It just says that you agree you're going to hold me harmless. Like, so it should say that, like, you, the, it should say that they're indemnifying you and defending you against yes. losses, losses, mm-hmm. claims. And that's, that's what those, that's what those are. Like, whatever their, whatever the vendor's loss or damage is, which is going to include reasonable legal fees. Yeah. And it's like a lot of couples will choose, especially when they go to their lawyers to have um, that part of the contract negotiated. So it just like, I mean, obviously, as people who protect vendors for a living, we know where we'll stand with that. But a contract is a two way street. So do not hesitate to negotiate your contract as well. 
and make sure that um, like if there's anything that you're trying to protect as well, especially if you're like, depending on what kind of couple you are, what kind of um, entity, for instance, is entering the agreement, then pursue that. But it's there for to protect the it's there definitely to protect the vendor in cases of situations where they find themselves in something that they, they don't need to be in as far as they're concerned. And so that's why the indemnification clause needs to be there. So it's standard and you're going to see this. You should be seeing this in every vendor's contract. But I guess for the on the side of the consumer, if they don't see this in a vendor's contract, is that a red flag? Do they even ask for this? Because this is more protection for the vendor, right? Yeah, you don't want to ask for it. But also, I think that it's standard. It's going, but it's also just going to be an indicator almost of sort of like the legitimacy and professionalism of the vendor if it's not in there because that's just going to show you that they haven't like worked they haven't worked with an attorney to review their service agreement frankly if that's not in there hey i get a little i mean it's a little this is this is like (laughs) you're a little activated (laughs) i'm a little activated by this i am um so listening if you are too you're not the only one this is you know you gotta know this stuff That photographer example, I think is like, and it's, again, it is a true story. And I think it's just a perfect illustration of this because like, why should your photographer who did exactly what they should do under your contract have Mm -hmm. to deal with the mother of the bride who is like you said, is having some kind of feelings about being uninvited and is taking it out on the wrong person. Yeah. And we've seen that in a variety of ways, actually, even like, I mean, obviously, I don't want to share anything that's going to <laughs> identify anyone. But honestly, sometimes you get it like where a third party or a parent it's becoming very frequent that it's the parent it's the or parent. someone that's not necessarily like party to the contract is now dragging it out with like the photographer or somebody and or the planner or something that maybe they felt like was different. And it really shouldn't be on the the vendor to have to, you know, deal with that you have to think about it as a, as a person as well like if 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 it was the same thing and they were trying to like sue the vendor for something and they kept pulling you into it it's like okay maybe this isn't something that I was supposed to be in in the first place and yeah. there should be protections in place for that okay why can vendors keep the deposit or retainer it's important to talk about there is actually a difference between the two words so there is a, a difference between the de- uh, the word deposit and the word retainer in a contract in a, yes, in a very like, I, they kind of, they are intended to operate. So I will say they are intended to operate the same. And I don't think, again, it's something people don't understand that there really is a difference between the two words. So a lot of people use them interchangeably. However, they shouldn't be. So a retainer is money paid to retain the services and compensate you for something, compensate you for turning down work, turn for turning away other people for those event dates. A deposit is just a payment made towards future services. So there's like a very kind of nuanced distinction between them. So that's why in a lot of contracts, and this completely changed post-COVID, was everybody put in their contracts that the retainer reserves the event date, compensates, reserves the event date and compensates the vendor for committing to provide the services and turning down other work. Sometimes vendors can only do one wedding a day. Sometimes they have a cap on how many they do a year. So if you have a planner who only takes 20 weddings a year and you happen to be that 20th client, 
after you book, they're turning down other dates. And so again, as a means for them to be small business owners that are able to count on money coming in, they're collecting this retainer. And in many cases, it's going to be non-refundable because this is you, this is your commitment to both working together. So it's them committing to provide the services to you and you committing to paying them and seeing this through for the duration of the planning process. For me as a wedding planner, mine is called a retainer because I can't be, I'm only one person and I can only be at your wedding. I can't be at any other weddings. Uh, so yes, but I've also seen with venues, it's wording deposit, which is a little confusing to me because if you're hiring a venue, a space, that space can't be given to anyone else either. Shouldn't that also be a retainer? It should be. Yeah. And I also know it goes by state. I've learned that too. Like in California, for example, mm. it's very important that it's called retainer and you know what I mean? Like other states, not so much. So I think it's, but it mostly is dependent on the type of service or if it's a product, right? Weddings are so unique when you think about it, because it's like you're booking a service, especially, especially for non wedding planning services, like for photographers and DJs, you're booking a service for like a year and a half out sometimes, which is very unique. And so also given the nature of weddings, there are possibilities of reschedulings and cancellations. And so we just have to have this different kind of specific language for dealing with it because of the unique nature of weddings, because honestly, it's very different than a lot of different types of things. Like if you're hiring a graphic designer, they might require a retainer, but like they're going to be working, doing work for you in a month or two, and then you're done. It's not like this very long process where the end is sort of like, is it going to happen? Is it not? I mean, obviously we want the weddings to actually happen, but like, there's that question, like, is this going to happen in a year and a half? Is it not? And how do we deal with that? I often um, will see in vendor contracts or actually recommend that if it's just a legit, like you're going to pay a retainer of 50% and if you cancel, it's non-refundable, like boom. I I often will ask for some flexibility as a just in case, like, can we get a sliding scale? Like, let's say the client has to cancel for reasons beyond their control nine months out. Well, nine months would give you a reasonable amount of time to re replenish and, and get the business back on that weekend or that date. So can you make it like within nine months, you get, you know, 40% of your retainer back or within six months, you get 30 or two months, you get zero. Like, I think that's a great compromise um, yeah. that I often recommend. What do you think? Yeah, it is. And it's also going to depend on the vendor type as to what you can get them to agree to. So planners who have been doing this work with you from day one, especially if it's full planning, um, and because planners get booked so far out, they are honestly probably going to have less flexibility yes. in terms of that sliding scale. For vendors like photo booth companies who can do multiple events in a day are often getting booked kind of last minute for things, they're probably going to have more flexibility with that kind of policy in terms of how much they get back if it's refunded or canceled. I think at the end of the day, what I really want couples just to understand, number one, is to just really humanize these vendors because so many of them are small business owners, they're solopreneurs doing this. And when you book somebody, 
they are putting it in their calendar and they're counting on that money. And so if you cancel and they are no longer collecting that money, that is going to be a huge detriment for their business. I, I totally agree. And I think that with planners specifically, if we are hired to plan your wedding, we've already been working on your wedding. It's not like you're canceling and like, oh, we can get a new client. Like we've been working on your wedding for months now, right? Um, but I am seeing through the podcast, through listeners reaching out to me, a lot of times if they have to cancel the wedding, it's the venue that the biggest retainer went out to and that they are the least flexible um, in their contracts and with these consumers, right? With these couples. And a lot of them I'm finding are not a small business, but rather big companies. And it's so frustrating. Yeah. I could see that. I could definitely see that with venues again. Yeah. Because of the nature of their ownership and what all goes into running a venue. With the venue thing, it also goes in the same angle with like a landlord, basically where their asset and the actual product that they have is literally just, not just, but primarily that space. So in the event that they can't book that space in one time, it's completely lost unless they're able to rebook. So it's such a complicated thing. So I'm not even going to play with that, <laughs> play, play with it, it is, at all, but yeah. Yeah, it is complicated because I think also it's kind of harder for a venue to replace the business right mm -hmm. closer to the date than it is for let's say a florist or yes know. um mm -hmm. okay mm -hmm. but yes Kumbi, yes. break yes. down liability there's always liability in a contract what are we talking about when it comes to reading about liability in a contract Okay, so liability is probably one of the biggest prongs of a contract in general, because liability, there's liability, and then there's the limitation of liability clause, which is like two separate things. Liability is legal responsibility. It's basically who is responsible for what, if something happens, who's responsible, for instance, like if a contract is canceled, who is liable, like legally responsible, and for what. So liability, you will see in your contract in a few places. You will see it mentioned, for instance, maybe if the vendor is saying, um, vendor responsibility or that, like, for instance, you would see it in a contract with a planner. You, I would hope you would see it in a contract with a planner where they were saying they were not legally responsible or liable for the actions of another vendor, or they're not legally responsible if, um, some, like you, you are not happy with the product of something else, like, or like you're not happy with the product of another vendor or another contractor or the venue or anything like that. Liability will come up again in, uh, in clauses where it's, for instance, if they say like, we are not legally responsible for, like nobody's legally responsible for actions that are literally beyond their control. Like if there's an act of anything, which I'm sure we'll get to at some point during this podcast. And then there's the limitation of liability clause, which really is speaking and like putting, like detailing the maximum liability that someone would be, like either party would be responsible for, for instance, if they did get sued. A lot of times you will see that the limitation of liability clause in a vendor's contract is stating that, for instance, the, the vendor, first of all, is not responsible for this, 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 will not be liable if this happens, if this happens to your guests, 
if this like so many scenarios but then it will also say a lot of times that in the event that a vendor is found liable that that liability will be limited for instance to the amount that they were paid for the uh, under the terms of that contract which is typically what you would see and I know a lot of times when people see that they're seeing only the fact that the vendor is not responsible but a lot of times if you look deeper you will see that it also mentions that it limits the liability of either party to just like to nothing that involves like special punitive treble damages and that's very important because basically what that is saying is that it's max it's putting a cap on damages for somebody that's going to call kind of sue you for pain and suffering or for um like you know lost opportunities like basically i couldn't get this business and now i'm suing you for one million dollars because you took money out of my pocket so those things those are really you know when i started in the beginning and i said that legal terminology sometimes it's to tell you what's going to happen but sometimes to it's to put stuff that is legally responsible and legally required to be in your agreement and things like that are stuff I'm talking about. So it basically puts a, the limitation of liability clause in a nutshell is it's going to dictate what each party is responsible, what they're not responsible for, what they're, what they're not going to be liable for. And also mention what, um, in what situations, even if they were liable, how much that, like what the maximum damages would be. Yeah. It's, it's a fun topic. (laughs) Is it really? (laughs) No. I think that um, this is one of the ones, again, that covers the the vendor, right? The, the business uh, person, mostly more so than the consumer, would you say? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I would say so. But again, I really, and honestly, like I would say that a lot, like you find, especially Michelle, I'm sure you've seen it even with your own, like when you've had these conversations with clients who bring in their own um, lawyers, like a lot of this is, these are the things that you can negotiate on. And mm-hmm. so like a lot of times when you even have a lawyer coming in to come and review it, the lawyer might push back and be like, okay, so let's talk about this. How much, what's the max liability? What's this? What's that? So it's a lot of times these are negotiable things, but we also understand as attorneys for vendors, why they are important for the vendors. But I wouldn't, I would be disingenuous if I didn't tell you that it's definitely stuff that would be negotiable as well, but they're there for a reason and they're there for protective measures because you have to remember that, yes, this is the most amazing day in your life. This is the most amazing day in this, but this person is also providing a service. It's also, this is the person's bread and butter. This is how, these are the things that legally they put there to protect themselves. So they don't end up spending their entire business, their the, the entire value of their business in court for something that maybe could have been avoided. Yeah. And, and I, I know- was just going to say, oh, no, sorry, I was go just going to say, I, I think that the attorneys on the other side are, as Kumbi kind of alluded to, are going to understand that as well. They're going to mm-hmm. understand why these provisions are in there the way that they are. And so I think where the negotiation lies, I don't think that they'll probably want you to strike things completely, no, but they'll no. want to have some kind of like reciprocal liability mm-hmm. on the vendor's part for certain things and make sure that that's clear. 
Yeah, hundred percent. I think uh, it's interesting the whole liability depending on whose contract it is. Obviously, Leah, as you know, mm-hmm. as a wedding planner, the big one in my contract is like I'm not liable for anything any of your vendors are going to do at your wedding, mm-hmm. even if I recommended those vendors to you, right? Even yep. if they're part of my vendor team, you're signing a contract with them. <laughs> I'm not signing a contract with them, and and you can't come after me and blame me for something that they did. Um, that's a and huge you would one. never agree to and you would never agree to that, right? Like if a client if a client had an attorney review it and s- wanted to say like, oh, you're going to be responsible for the behavior of vendors who are on your preferred vendor list, you're going to say no way, nope. Mm-mm. So I think that's what's important is that like the the couples and clients understand. Again, I hope that we're conveying here the rationale behind some of these. Like yeah. this is not just to stick it to you or you know pull a fast one. This is like legitimately to protect vendors because if vendors had this open liability for every wedding that they did, it just wouldn't be feasible to continue doing the work that they do. And I think it's also hopeful that you all are saying, you know, talking about, for example, this is one category that it is common to negotiate with or, Mm -hmm. or revise a bit. Um, So it's important that we do point out, point that out in this episode as well. So awesome. Um, Okay, this is a a big one, Leah. Um, We see this a lot in photographer contracts, videographer, venue. I even sometimes, I think I have something about it too. Um, The right to use photos or video of your wedding. Talk about that. Yes. Yeah. This is, it's interesting because I often say that this is probably the most negotiable provision in a vendor's contract, but I know that there would be a lot of photographers and videographers who would uh, have my head for saying that. But, um, and there was actually a really good, I was just watching a photographer talk about this on Instagram and they had really great thoughts on it about how it shouldn't be standard that photographers and videographers necessarily have the right to use your photos. And so this is a personal decision. It is up to you as the people getting married as to what you want to be able to have done with your photos. If you are signing, if you are giving a release to your photographer and videographer to be able to use the photos, like they're going to show up on their social media and on their website and maybe in marketing materials. I will say one thing, this is a Pro tip for couples when you are reviewing, if you are okay with your photographer or videographer using your photos publicly, make sure you very carefully read what they can use them for. And if they want to use them for advertising, take that out because what we don't, because we don't want your face on a billboard without you knowing about it. And that they could do that. Like the photographer owns the photo. They could sell it to somebody and um, put it up there. And so, and also advertising is commercial and monetary, like monetary gain off of that. So that feels a little um, kind of like something that would require an extra step of permission to do. Um, I do want to point out to couples that aside from photographers and videographers, if you have contracts with your venue, planner, florist, DJ, whoever asking for permission to use the photos, I want you as the couple to understand that those people actually have a two-step process for getting, for being able to legally use the photos. So they need your permission to be able to show 
your face and your likeness and things like that, but they also have to get permission from the photographer or videographer to use those photos. So um, one of the things that we actually just voluntarily put in our clients' contract is that an acknowledgement that the vendor is going to get that permission. So that can be something that you as the people getting married want acknowledged in the contract as well. That's saying that these particular vendors know that they have to get permission from the people who actually own the photos in order to use them. That's a big one. I've had clients in the past, not many will disagree to this. They're usually like, sure, whatever it comes with the territory. But I have had clients in the past who are in the public eye or their family is, and who have had a strict, like hard, like you may not share my photo with anybody. You can't put it on your website. Like one of my most favorite weddings ever I did, the design was spectacular. I'm not allowed to show it anywhere. And it hurts. It actually hurts you all listening, like you would love to see these photos, but I can't use them. Um, Let's say they don't use the word advertising, but rather promotional material, promotional. That's the same thing, right? Yeah. I think you want to be specific about where you're saying that they can use the photo. So like social media, websites, portfolio, things like that. Um, Blog, magazine submissions, if you're cool with them submitting wedding for publication. But yeah, if you if you are if you have an interest in wanting to limit it, then you should be very specific with yeah. the language used of how they can use your photos. And if you do, by the way, I want to throw in here, uh tell, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you want to make suggestions to make revisions to a contract, is it okay to just write it in plain English? I mean, do we need all the legal terminology? No. Just like, can I sure put like, you are not allowed to use my face on a billboard? <laughs> sure. Yes. <laughs> the message is communicated just fine with that statement. <laughs> Don't use my pictures for billboards. Or like you are, you are not pr- allowed to make money off of my wedding photos by selling them. I mean, with, we can argue, we can yeah. get into the yeah. argument that like putting them on social media and using them on your website ultimately gives them is like for monetary mm-hmm. value, but like you cannot get like dollar for dollar. You you cannot mm-hmm. sell my wedding photos. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I am. Um, this reminds me of a story that, uh, from a listener who reached out to me and was like, I'm really, really upset. Uh, my photographer who I hired, um, was not the person that showed up my, at my wedding. Um, I thought somebody was going to show up, but it was somebody else. And on top of that, the photos are awful. There's this weird sun glare and, you know, everything's like off center and, you know, none of my family members are smiling. And on top of that, my video, cause she hired this photographer who included like video, you know, like a highlight, uh, oh. There is footage from other people's weddings in my video. Like, it's not my Sorry? wedding. Yeah. Like, B-roll. Okay, that's different. Like, there's B-roll from someone else's wedding in her video. Can they do that? Like, can I guess they can't do that, right? Like, well, there's two things at play there. Number one is the, the footage from other weddings that they use, whether they had permission from those clients to use the footage Sorry, in that way. But number two... 
these that videographer is clearly not fulfilling the terms of their contract because they are providing you video footage of somebody else's wedding. So that is a hundred percent a breach I mean, of. Do contract. we need to have that in the contract? You may not no, use footage from somebody no. else's wedding in my video. That is that is understood. no. What you do have to have in your contract is make sure that it's like the the photographer will reasonably like per industry standard create the. I just I can't imagine that they that is not industry standard. That's not expected in any way. And event coverage was hired for a specific event, not that event, and that's all yeah. stated in the description of services. Yeah, I, I mean that's like if that. a photographer tried to slip in like stock like, footage of the, flowers or something like filler, that. Like filler no, imagery. That is, <laughs> that is not part of the that is a hundred percent a not breach part of the contract. But I, I mean, think it's reasonable to expect that to be breach. <laughs> but Leah and Kumbi, I can kind of it's almost makes sense to me because you know, you probably are learning this in digital marketing, right? In social media and, and all of these that oh, we're creating mm-hmm. all these videos, like use B-roll, use B-roll, right? Like I could see it kind of like things moving in that direction. Especially with AI. Thing. With AI and with, you know, someone that. on a budget, like, sure, I'll 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 meet your budget, but guess what? I'm gonna use this this template that I've got and it's gonna have B-roll from somebody else's, you know, I like I almost feel like it's it's freaky, but like it could happen. It we could be moving toward that. It it could happen. And that's possibly probably why like this is it goes back to the emphasis on when a contract is really important because you're taking your contract with you to court to let them know that this is not okay because you are they were hired specifically for that. But it's also probably great to um, one thing you will find in a photographer's um, contract, typically, at least I would hope so, is like an artistic license and also the fact that you are um, well aware of their portfolio and the kind of work they do. So during this is one of those conversations that needs to be had during the booking process in terms of, OK, so can I see your work? And maybe now we now have to throw in the question. This is all from the same wedding, right? Like, I don't know, mm-hmm. because that's that's a weird one that's starting to happen. Mm-hmm. It is weird. <laughs> Very weird. Okay. Here's another big one. We always see this. It's, I feel like it's French or something. I don't know. It is French. Okay. Okay. It's French. Um, What is force majeure? Force majeure is the big elephant that's always in the room when stuff happens, I feel like. And um, I really blame COVID for this mess now because now everybody wants to call force majeure for every single thing. And that's, Possibly because nobody really understands what it is. But force majeure in French really means superior force. It means like major force, something like has intervened basically or disrupted the completion of the services, something that's outside the control of both parties, basically, or at least the party that is claiming force majeure. So it's basically something that obviously you can't predict, but has now made it like has forced your hand into not either maybe not being able to perform the contract at that moment. COVID, COVID then, when COVID hit us like this big thing and surprised all of us and caused the government lockdown so that nobody could then have like, you know, an event happen or have an event happen at the size that they had already contracted for the event to happen. Or like, for instance, like um, a pandemic, that also being the COVID war, flood, something that literally just, you know, interrupts that major force that interrupts that disrupts the services so what a force majeure clause is is that it establishes what exactly is a force majeure so it would define what that is a lot of states want that in their contract for it to be specifically detailed what 
constitutes a force majeure. So now in in contracts, you will see that they will be more specific and say like state lockdowns, country lockdowns, like war um, in in certain parts of the country, weather disruptions are a big thing. For instance, um, I found out that in places like the mountainsides, air quality index is a whole big thing. Mm. Those uh, mysterious Canadian fire things that happened to us in which the air quality index became a thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like stuff like that, that like things like that become um, like, part of they could be listed as you know like weather related um devastations or lockdowns or the fires or here in like california which are fires. always in wedding season because it's a summer so literally if that creates a situation where it's impossible and it has created a situation where you cannot you cannot complete your side of the contract you should not be in breach for it so it goes back into that whole liability conversation you shouldn't be liable for a situation like that because it's literally out of your hands Mm -hmm. it's literally something that's been created so then what happens and i think that's the part that a lot of people forget about and for couples it's probably the most important part of a force majeure clause we can go on and on about what a force majeure is but then if you're just defining it how do we proceed in that situation you don't want to leave it to the courts to decide you want it to be clear as to what happens in the event of a force majeure so Mm -hmm. in a force majeure then you say something like okay as soon as that party is aware of a force majeure you have x days to immediately notify the other party because can you imagine how awkward it is that i'm showing up to a wedding and i realize that the vendor isn't there it gets really awkward so somebody has to immediately notify that person so that they can act as well and then it also might give you like if you define it there it might give you time and how many days you have to basically cure that or like fix that or notify them when the force majeure has ended when that major situation has ended so that you can either continue with the agreement at a date that's mutually available to both parties or like continue after that thing has ended or in certain cases, it might even be the avenue that you need to be able to terminate the agreement. So force majeure is many things. It should be defined. It should be clear what constitutes a force majeure because you don't want to leave that um, that to a game of he said, she said, or chance. And also it should specify what happens in the event of a force majeure and how do we handle this so that you're not losing your mind trying to figure out what you're going to do. Instead, you can go into your contract and be like, okay, it says I should let them know at this date. I'm not going to be considered in breach. And then I'll let them know when everything is sorted. Okay. I hope that makes sense. It totally <laughs> makes sense. This is something that, this is my jam. <laughs> and, you know how this... Leah loves indemnification? This is, this is my, <laughs> my happy place. Somebody's <laughs> like, I talk about force majeure all day. All day. Give me a cocktail. <laughs> let's go. That's my magic word too. Okay. So yeah, those two things, cocktails and force majeure. Yeah. Cocktails and force majeure. You're such an attorney. Oh, we're going to have a party. That's our next party theme. Cocktails and force majeure. Hello. I want that is perfect. Can I play? You can come. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right, Lisa. Leah, you're next. Here we go. Here's another cocktail party theme. Cancellation and rescheduling. Ooh. It's perfect that Kumi just got done talking about force majeure because all three of these things have to work together. So um, it's kind of, I kind of think of like reschedulings and cancellation as a bit of a flow chart because it's like, if this happens, then this happens. And then we just kind of go from there. So obviously rescheduling and cancellation is on everybody's mind since COVID happened. And you will start seeing in all of your vendor contracts, a more detailed rescheduling and cancellation provision than there ever was before because everybody in 2020 revised their policies. And so 
what you want to, there's some things that you want to look at. So you want to understand that with a rescheduling or cancellation, is there a different policy if it is caused by a force majeure event? versus a not force majeure event. Because in some cases, your vendors might be more flexible if you have to reschedule because a hurricane blew through versus you just decided that, you know, you're in grad school and you have exams and it's going to conflict with the time that you were going to get married. So you want to reschedule the wedding just to be more convenient for you. It's entirely possible that your vendors might have different policies for those two scenarios, but they also might not have different policies for those scenarios. So some vendors might treat a rescheduling or cancellation because of a force majeure event the same way as they would treat it as if you broke up. So it's important to understand and make sure you're looking at your vendor contracts to understand what their policies are. Going back to what we talked about before, there might be those kind of sliding scales. So it's like if the event is canceled within, you know, nine months, maybe you get part of the retainer back, or maybe all your forfeiting is just the retainer. If you are canceling, you know, a month out, two months out, chances are you're going to owe the balance to the vendor because you're canceling so close to the wedding date. Something in between might be some kind of difference. But this is where I wanted to mention event cancellation insurance. So this is a type of policy that couples can purchase that protects them for a lot of different things. It protects you if a weather event causes you to have to reschedule or cancel. It protects you if one of your vendors goes out of business and runs away with your money. It protects you if gifts are stolen at the wedding. And the cost of this is all dependent upon your budget. And it is honestly, I think, a good investment for what you're paying based on the level of protection that you're getting. So you're able to insure against that. Your vendors are not. So this is, again, sort of why vendors have these cancellation policies, because they can't get insurance for if a hurricane keeps your wedding from happening. So it's really about understanding what the policy is, trying to protect yourself. Now, I always say COVID is not covered under event cancellation policies anymore. It's going to specifically exclude that. But whatever the next unknown thing is that we can't predict for, something like that is going to be presumably covered under the under the policy. That's so interesting too, because we all change. I mean, my cancellation policy went from like three paragraphs to like nine paragraphs after, <laughs> you know, during all of the... Co- Cause it wasn't just run round in a second. I mean, this, I had people like I had to read, I, I planned a wedding four different times for somebody like it was yeah. nuts. And so, you know, it's tough because there's nothing that's going to cover a pandemic anymore. Um, yeah. but I mean, you know, things like, for example, I mean, in my contract, it says, if we need to reschedule more than one time for your wedding, you are now going to owe me X amount of money yeah. because I can't, you know, um, and, and it sucks, but it, it is what it is. So, I mean, these can't, this insurance for cancellation would help pay for something like that. Right. Um, yeah. you never know. And I've said this before on the podcast, you don't want to think about having to cancel your wedding, but it is a reality for whatever reason it is. Um, I'm really happy that you brought up the insurance too, because it's always something either it's a total, like not, you know, 
priority from one to 10, it's like a one and they won't spend the money on it. And then they are really hating life when they actually do have to cancel and they have to, you know, lose all this money on all of these deposits and retainers. Uh, I had, yeah, I had one single couple of my, all of my 2020 couples that took my advice in 2019 and purchased event cancellation insurance. So one of them, Got their policy December of 2019, ended up calling off their, I think it was probably summer 2020 wedding and had no problem getting like the insurance company paid out very quickly for their, all their losses for the venue and everything like that. Um, So it works. And then also going back to the general, like talking about insurance, the general liability we mentioned earlier. So some of these other things that you are responsible for, like if somebody sues one of your vendors for something that wasn't their fault, but even think about like if one of your guests causes significant damage to the venue, like you're the one that's contracted with the venue, venues coming after you, at least part, at least you plus maybe some other people for that. And so that's the kind of things that this general liability policy is going to protect you from as well. I've heard that um, with general liability insurance, it's actually not... Cause I used to say like, oh, sometimes your homeowner's insurance, you can use it to use for general liability insurance on your wedding day. But I've also heard like, don't do it because if something does happen, your homeowner's insurance will go up kind of a deal. So oh, yeah, you want those separate. Yeah. Ooh, so much to think but about. But your homeowner, but like your homeowner, the company who provides your homeowner's insurance might be the one who could write the policy. A for separate policy. General liability or cancellation. Yeah. Big, huge tip there, peeps. All right. And finally, who signs the contract? Who should sign this contract? I mean, I think my dad's going to pay for my photographer. Should my dad sign or should we sign? Because I really don't want my photos being used. Who signs the contract? You should sign. Both members or all members of the couple or the or the really of the people getting married are to sign that contract because I have seen every variation of problems that can come out if one person signs, if the parent signs, if um this other person, the whoever else is coming into this contract is signing. Both people getting married need to sign th- that contract Both and be jointly. People. Yes. Mm-hmm. Jointly and severally liable. There's a situation most recently that I have to use as an example. God forbid you get left at the altar and you're the only person that signed that contract. Wouldn't it hurt if all of a sudden you, the person that left you at the altar is also not financially responsible for that problem? It has happened. It is not a scenario that is now speculation anymore. Basically, you want to make sure that both people that have agreed to get married are signing that contract and listed as clients, jointly and severally liable for that contract. It shouldn't be your parents. It shouldn't be this other person because then that murkies the water. If your parent is also, um, if your parents are also financially responsible, I have seen some people just throw in the parents in there as well as the people getting into the contract. But my recommendation will always be to instead have them sign a financially responsible party or what we call a third party payer addendum added to the contract and like, you know, included that, that this person is the financially responsible party, but the client and the, is the couple and the two people that are signing that agreement. It's really important that you ex- you clear that up. Otherwise things can get murky fast. Okay. Yeah. I mean, think about that 
the photographer example I used before. So let's say the mother of the bride had been the one who signed the contract because she was paying and then they had a falling out. Well, the photographer signed the contract with her. So the photographer is delivering the images to her, to the mother of the bride. And not the bride. And not Mm -hmm. the people that got married. Yes. Okay. That's so that's because that's always been a little bit of a confusing area to me. I've had parents paying for something and saying, you know what, Michelle, I'm going to go ahead and sign this contract because I want to make sure it's legit. I'm responsible for this. But you're saying no. The couple should sign every single contract, regardless of if somebody else is paying for it. This third party, uh, what did you call it? Could be the, uh, well, the third party pay pay what? It's the third party pay your addendum. Basically, honestly, it can be called anything you want. You can call it this is the person that's paying for this. Don't talk to me anymore, addendum. But it's basically like it's so basically what I'm getting at is it could be called several things. It could be called financially responsible party addendum, but what we have it on our legally set shop as is third party pay your um addendum. But basically what that states is um it just basically the the third that third party that's financially responsible is going to sign and let them know that they are committing to paying. Like they're the financially responsible party here, because another thing that obviously you don't want to get really awkward about is who you are going to chase for your money if you're the vendor. But also as the couple, you have that in black and white that daddy, mommy or whoever has said that they're paying for this. So let them go chase them down for the money. But you like you want to make sure that both um, even as a member of the couple, you want to make sure that both parties sign as clients of that agreement because you cannot predict what's happening. Yes, it's XOXO and happily ever after. But you also want to make sure that both people are putting all their feet into this agreement together and committing to making sure that they're both responsible, because that is a blind side that I found that people are making now. I love that. And it's also it's also a matter of who's the decision maker, like who are the services Mm -hmm. owed to who gets to decide at the end of the day. So if you have a parent who's actually the one signing the contract, I mean, then it gets murky. I think our, I think our addendum is set up. The legally set addendum is set up so that it says this person is just agreeing to be financially responsible. Mm -hmm. They are not the ultimate decision maker and that the client Mm -hmm. under the contract remains the decision maker under the contract and who the services are owed to. Okay. I love this so much. You two, like for my marrier listening right now, because there's always, we always say like, if your parents are paying financially, it comes with all that decision, mm-hmm. you know, all their opinions, all what they want. And so this is beautiful because this is like separation, right? Like you and me, Mr. Vendor, we're going to, we're going to talk about all the decisions. It's, it's us. But, but when you need, when, cause my mom, I can't get her to p- give me a check. So you make that, you know, the contract with who's paying is with her. And so you send her the bill, you send her the invoices, you sell, she'll pay the check directly to you, but you and me, we're talking about all everything else. I love that. Boom. This is like the finale, the best ending ever to this episode. You even, you don't even know. I love it. Yay. Okay. Okay. I this- feel like we've taken you on a full roller coaster with from going from literally to like ending on this note. Oh, Leanne, her roller coaster. <laughs> we just went through the wedding roller coaster. Hello. <laughs> 
Okay. This was so incredibly educational and I feel like you did this so well, a nice bite size. Like we all understand. Thank you so much for taking the time and the patience and explaining this. This is going to help so many, so many, many, many marriers out there. So thank you. Beautiful. I love it so much. And um, wait, what is our cocktail party that we're going to do? Because I'm force majeure and cocktails. Cocktails Cocktails and force majeure. Cocktails and force majeure. Seriously, yeah. it's a party. You need to have like a, like a like a we could do next... a little virtual happy hour thing. That's too. what we'll I do, feel we'll like a cocktails that. and force majeure. Maybe Leah doesn't be... really drink, but I will drink for all of us. So, I'll yeah. drink for her too. We'll do it together. Okay, great. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so so Thanks much. And shout me. out again where people can find you because they need you. Yeah, if anybody needs our one-on-one legal services, our law firm is oduberg.com. The contract templates we've referenced are on legallyset.com. And then Instagram, it's at oduberglaw, at legallyset. I am at the Leah Weinberg. And Kunbi is at Kunbi ESQ, which is short for Esquire. So yeah, lots of places to find us. Thank you both so much. This is fantastic. I appreciate you you both so much. Thanks for having us. It's my pleasure. Bye. 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 The Big Wedding Planning Podcast is hosted and produced by me, Michelle Martinez. It is edited by Veronica Gruba. Music by Steph Altman of Mophonics. Help us get the word out by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on Instagram at the Big Wedding Planning Podcast and be sure to use the hashtag PlanThatWedding when posting. Follow on TikTok at Big Wedding Planning Pod. Have a wedding planning question or just want to get in touch? Send an email to hello at the Big Wedding Planning Podcast.com or my personal favorite, leave a voicemail at 415 723 and you might hear your voice on a future episode. That is it. Happy planning, everybody. Love you, love the show. Bye.